we were going to call this series Shiny Object Syndrome for the fact that all these new technologies come along and people get really excited about them. But we chose instead to call it This Does Not Compute, a podcast series about what's going on with emerging technologies, with the technologies that you read about in the papers, and we get real experts to come in and talk about them. I'm Jim Lewis. I work at CSIS. I'll be your host for this podcast. Today, we're talking to Shannon Corliss, who's the Assistant Secretary for the Office of Intelligence and Analysis at Treasury, key function that builds on Shannon's long experience in the intelligence community and looking at economic and financial security. So with that, welcome, Shannon. Tell us about the office. It's a new office. It's a it's a new department for you after so long in the IC. Tell us what it's like. Absolutely, absolutely. So obviously the Department of the Treasury is one of the, the nation's oldest departments, but within the department, the Office of Intelligence and Analysis, which is the organization I had the privilege to lead, is just barely 20 years old. It was created back in 2003 and 2004 in statute as a response to the 9-11 attacks and in recognition of a need to focus on countering terrorist use of illicit finance to fund their terrorist activities around the world. So both the Office of Intelligence and Analysis, which is led by an assistant secretary position, which is the role that I'm in right now, as well as the undersecretary that I report to, which is the Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence. Both of those were created at the same time, and the other offices within TFI, as we call it, that form TFI are the Office of Foreign Assets Control, as well as the Terrorism, Finance, and Financial Crimes Office, which is also led by an assistant secretary. So the TFFC organization is the one that develops the policy around sanctions and illicit finance activities, whereas OFAC is the one that implements the the actual actions regarding sanctions. So OIA was originally created to support this very specific function of countering illicit activities through sanctions and uh, and other means. But as you can imagine, its mandate has grown over the years. So it, it has a very specific role in supporting these activities, but it also supports a variety of other activities across the department, both on a substance perspective, support to leadership engagements in multinational settings, such as the IMF or World Bank engagements and other other similar engagements. But we also provide support to the department on other things as well, such as we run the top secret network for the department. We play a key role in working with the Secret Service to support the department from a security perspective as well. Tell us what financial intelligence is. When you hear it, what do you think? Understanding what the relationships are between individuals. You're not going to be sending money to somebody if you don't know that person and why you are sending money to to that person and for what purpose. That is really, I think, a very simple way of explaining what financial intelligence is in a way that's understandable to folks outside. What it really is is about understanding what these relationships are between various actors and what their intentions are to use this relationship to to finance malign activities around the world. How does it relate to your old job, which was a lot more focused on foreign investment in the U.S. and uh, that? There's clearly overlap, but what's the relationship? I would say it's another piece of a bigger picture, which is the bigger general issue of economic security. In my last role before I came over to Treasury, I had the opportunity to lead the IC's economic security and financial intelligence mission. 
And in that role, I had a broad purview over so much of what the IC does in terms of prioritization of resources, analysis, and collection across a range of issues concerning macroeconomic activities or analysis that the IC would do, understanding this world of sanctions that I've just talked about. And then there's the other aspect, which is where I really spent the, the bulk of my career prior to uh, the most recent role at ODNI, which is foreign investment and specifically support to uh, Treasury's Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. So I think the way I would probably compare the two is they are both two examples of tools that the department has to counter what might be malign activities. I want to caveat the foreign investment part by saying we need foreign investment, and the role of CFIUS was always and has always been to find a way to ensure that you can enable foreign investment while protecting national security interests. So the vast majority of my career, probably about the better part of maybe 14 to 15 years at ODNI, was in supporting Treasury's CFIUS. So I do want to ask you more about OIA's missions, but you said one thing that triggered a thought that falls into that category, which is it was created for a counterterrorism mission. And a lot of the intel and security world now is having to shift somewhat painfully from a CT focus to a focus on China and on counterintelligence. How's your job changing as a result? I would answer that question by focusing primarily on the analytic work that OIA is responsible for leading. A great example of how this has shifted is when OIA first stood up back in the 2004 era, and in probably for the next decade or so after that, we were primarily focused on doing sanctions support. My predecessor, Izzy Petalunas, made a very strategic decision, um, recognizing that there was a, a broader shift underway towards great power competition and uh, essentially undertook an effort to do some reorganization and realignment of OIA's analytic workforce so that we were also supporting more of that work as well. So a lot of the work that we do still does absolutely focus on supporting the counterterrorism efforts, which will never go away. But we are increasingly dedicating our resources to understanding the challenges associated with the rise of China and certainly other adversaries such as Russia as well. So what would you say the OIA missions are? What's your mission space? I mean, you, you have a bunch, but just list them off for us. Great question. So I think it's good to maybe start organizationally to explain the scope of the work that OIA does, both in support of the department, but also the White House and other cabinet offices as well. So we have four directorates for all intents and purposes. We have one, which is the very traditional one that you would expect an intelligence organization to have, which is our analysis and production directorate. We have a directorate for counterintelligence and security, which is largely focused on, as you would imagine, countering any security concerns associated with the department's activities, uh, any, any threats to essentially the department's people and the department's information and data. We have a directorate for support and technology, and that is essentially, it's almost sort of like a chief operating officer role for, uh, for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. That is the office where we have a team that is dedicated solely to running the top secret network for the department, computer network. It is where we have our human capital, our budget teams, and the like are, are all there. And then our last directorate, which is our newest and also one that my predecessor very 
keenly had the recognition of the need to set up is our cyber uh, intelligence directorate. It is our small but mighty and nimble directorate right now. <laughs> and it is the one that is sort of our nexus to the financial sector and where we have our the vast majority of our engagements and connection with the financial that was actually my next question, which is, you must have a cyber role then. Yes, we do. It is about just barely a year and a half, almost two years old. What we are doing in, in that office are sort of are several things. First is we're, we are watching the, the rise of digital assets, generally speaking. And so that is you know the rise of cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and how are bad actors using cryptocurrency to funnel funds for malign uses like we've discussed before in the context of counterterrorism, but this will be across a, across a, a range of issues. I, this is also the office, as I mentioned just a moment ago, where we do a lot of our work with the financial sector, and this is really working with them very closely to ensure that we are sharing information with them that allows them to take the necessary steps to ensure that their networks are secure, as well as understanding from their perspective what threats they think they are seeing to their infrastructure. And I should note that we do this in very close coordination with DHS's CISA team as well, because it is actually underneath DHS's authorities that we engage the financial sector. And so I was going to ask you then how much fintech and cryptocurrencies and the whole move towards digital finance has affected your job. It, it surely must have complicated collection a little bit. It is a great example of, I think, the paradigm shift that is underway both for OIA as well as the IC in terms of this shift away from simply just looking at things through a counterterrorism lens, but also you know, the, the various new avenues that the bad actors and adversaries are using to finance their activities. It is very complicated, requires a lot of expertise, and you know, this is an example of an area where it's going to be imperative that we really try to bring the best of expertise into Treasury, into OIA as possible, so that we can ensure that we're providing the the right kind of support and insight and knowledge to our leadership. So this one, I went back and forth on whether to ask it, but um, you're a customer of the intelligence community, or you're a a collector, or what? Where do you get your, is it open source? Is it private conversations with the financial community? How do you get the intel you need to do your job? So just like any other agency, we rely very heavily on the information that we are able to obtain through your traditional ints, if you will. It could be SIGINT, it could be human, it could be even the work that NGA does, we are increasingly reliant on as well to the geoint work. We also, as would come to no surprise to your listeners, the fact that we are in the economic security space rely very heavily on open source information. And that is, you know, that's information from a variety of providers, commercial providers primarily, but understanding, you know, the the data that is out there is an increasing area of focus of ours as well. Yeah, that was the opportunity for a balloon joke, but I resisted. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but since we're talking about balloons, how much does China figure in your work? I mean, what is it? What is it? China is. I know what Senator Rubio asked you about it. I think in your hearing, how much does China occupy your time? It occupies a, a significant amount of of, uh, of our time, of my time, without a doubt. As I said in my hearing, uh, China is our greatest strategic competitor, and it is an area where we 
are being asked to spend more and more of our time focusing on so that we can understand, should a notional China-Taiwan conflict come to pass, what are the tools that the department might use and how might they use them? And as a result, what are the key intelligence questions that our customers are going to ask of us so that we can ensure that they are fully informed by the analysis that OIA does, as well as the analysis that we do in partnership with our colleagues across the IC. How much does the North Korea take up your time? Are they that active in this? I know they're active in showing cyber proliferation. Where do they fit in the financial intelligence world? Big, medium, small. Yeah, I would say definitely still still big. I would oh. I would say on the whole, you know, we're we're focused right now in addition to you know always maintaining a base of knowledge on counterterrorism financing. The other really big issues that we that we follow are as we just discussed China, mm-hmm. your listeners would assume Russia, but Iran and North Korea are really big areas of focus for us as well too particularly from a counterproliferation standpoint and understanding how they may be using the financial systems to fund their, their weapons development active programs. Those are the four state actors we all know and love. Where do non-state I, actors fit? How much of your work is criminal? How much of is proxies? I mean, where do, where do non-state actors fit into this picture? I would say from a, a cryptocurrency standpoint is a big area of focus is how are, you know, how are criminals using cryptocurrency to fund malign mm-hmm. activities. But again, this is to be clear that we're looking at how, you know, these sort of foreign groups are funding, using cryptocurrencies to, to fund malign activities. No, I, I get it. I mean, I was going to make an FTX joke, but it's too, probably too painful. <laughs> That's not. Yeah. Where does global engagement fit in with your job? I mean, how much do you interact with foreign partners, which used to be a fair part of your old job? It's an increasingly big part of the the work that we do. We have always had uh, very good partnerships with counterparts across the world, focusing on, as we've been spending so much time discussing here, the use of the financial system to to fund terrorist activities. That Mm. is changing. And so as a result of making a strategic shift to focus more on these sort of great power competition-related issues, that's also opening the door, as well as cyber, opening the door for us to develop new partnerships with our intelligence partners around the world. So it is a, it's, it's a, it was already a very robust engagement, but it's becoming increasingly important as we make this shift. The one thing that I do think is very interesting and worth highlighting with respect to this question is that the Department of the Treasury is the only finance ministry in the world that has its own intelligence organization, which is fascinating from the standpoint of it really empowers Treasury in a way that makes the department so unique compared to its ministries around the world. But what it also means, too, is that we don't necessarily have the traditional partners that you might necessarily imagine that CIA has its partners, its long-established partners around the world. So a lot of the work that we do in terms of our engagements with foreign partners is in very close coordination with our our IC partners as well because of those long-established relationships that they have. I was going to ask you that because running through my head, I couldn't think of any other finance ministries that have something similar. Is this something you think they're going to pick up? Is it is it a place where they need to? Is this new to other countries? What do they say when you show up and say I'm I'm from the Treasury Department? It, it is and here not, to help. 
it, it, yes, indeed, indeed. I hope it takes off. I think what we're seeing right now through the the lens of the the Russia Ukraine conflict and the the great power that economic tools like those that the Department of the Treasury have and in commerce as well too, I should add. The whole goal of using these tools is to try to either a use the economic tools as a way to potentially avoid genetic conflict or b use these tools so that we can try and disable an adversary's ability to fund their military operations. And so I think we're a little bit on the cutting edge here in terms of you know, this new era and certainly the role that OIA plays in supporting the department's use of these tools. And it would be amazing to see other, other partners around the world develop a similar capability. What do they do now? They palm it off onto their intelligence agencies or somebody just picks it up as a sideline? And what's the I, press? I, I would imagine it's, it's, it's more the use of their traditional agencies mm. and just having, having small teams or teams, I should say, that take on the discipline. So how much has your workload picked up with all the new sanctions on Russia and everyone else? What does it look like from when you arrive and now a year into Ukraine? It is a significant amount of work. When I first arrived, I actually started, I believe, on January 10th of 2022, which was just about like five or six weeks before mm-hmm. the, the crisis kicked off. Ironically, we're talking on the one-year anniversary of the beginning of the yeah. Russia-Ukraine crisis. When I arrived, I arrived to a treasury operation that was pulling everything together in anticipation of a crisis and and working to determine what their sanctions um, actions were going to be. And immediately upon the kickoff of the crisis, everything kicked into high gear, and OIA, in support of the department, surged a lot of its analysts over mm-hmm. to the, the teams that were directly supporting the crisis. We have definitely evened out our op-tempo, if you will. So it is, it is still a, a, a driving, if not the, the driving topic of conversation every day here in terms of what our priority is. Um, but it has definitely evened out, at least for the time being. Hopefully it'll eventually <laughs> settle down. <laughs> Sanctions seem to be becoming a preferred foreign policy tool in a way they weren't, say, when in previous administrations, and so a lot more effort to use sanctions against companies, use the entities list, against potential military opponents. What do you think the future is for sanctions and for OIA's role in sanctions? I think we'll continue to see sanctions as a key tool in the government's economic toolkit. I think their importance will grow and, and as such, certainly OIA's ability to support sanctions will grow. I think there is a recognition, as the department recognized early on in the current administration, the need to ensure that the sanctions are effective. And so there is an effort underway to make sure that sanctions are implemented in a way that is effective and have the intended results. And so that has been a big area of focus of OIA's is ensuring that we are providing the support to the department to ensure that we're helping them effectively craft and implement sanctions accordingly. So would you call yourself a partner to OFAC? We are absolutely a partner to OFAC. I do not envision a world where we will ever be able to say that we wouldn't have a, a key role in supporting them. We are probably their primary intelligence support function. Great. So last question. Do you have everything you need? Do you have the authorities? Do you have the resources? I mean, this is sort of the wish list moment for you, but the authorities part, 
you, you, you know, do you have the authorities you need to do your job? That is a great question. I think we do. I think there is a valid question as we are seeing the ground sort of shift under our feet, you know, away from counterterrorism to great power competition, a very valid question of whether or not we had the authorities that we will need in the future. And specifically, the, the things that I am thinking about, or the, thing, the one thing that I am thinking about, is our engagement with the financial sector. I know we have the authorities to engage the financial sector the way we do right now through DHS's critical infrastructure authorities. What I don't know is the extent to which we will need new authorities to engage the financial sector and the private sector on issues beyond cyber resiliency. And I think that's an example of an area that we need to to take on within the department, certainly in concert with our partners over at ODNI as well, too. What would the financial sector say about what you're doing? I mean, what's your relationship with them? We have a very good relationship with financial sector on the cyber engagement side. I think it's it's still relatively new, and it certainly is an area where there is a lot of opportunity for growth. But at least from <laughs> the feedback that we get, the work that we are doing together is viewed as extremely valuable on both sides. Who, who is it you work with in financial companies, CISOs or? Exactly. We primarily work with the CISOs. Oh, interesting. Okay. OIA is relatively new and it's relatively small, but it's, we've talked a little bit about its mission set. What are OIA's missions? I mean, what's your mission space, Shannon? It's a great question, Jim. So we, the work that OIA does informs, as you can imagine, a range of policy discussions and outcomes on a diverse set of issues. We are engaged in supporting the policy team here that, that leads the CFIUS work sanctions, as we've been discussing so far, financial sector, cyber resilience is another big area of focus, and a lot of time thinking about the future of the global financial system, specifically how are global payments and financial infrastructures evolving, digital assets, trade, investment policy, and then I think a a couple of new ones to add to the list also are things like supply chain risk and climate, just to name a few. And from a climate perspective, we looked at it through you know, opportunities to, to work with partners around the world, supporting our policy customers on things like climate financing, understanding where there may be climate changes around the world that are going to have an impact on economies and opportunities that, that presents the department to, uh, to engage with, with partners. Um, and then on the supply chain side, it's a, it, that is in support of a variety of government partners, certainly Treasury, as well as Commerce, even DOD as well, too. And of course, you have the big foreign policy bad guys as well, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea. They're, if you were going to weight these different mission areas, which, which, which takes up most of your day on, a, on an average week? Oh, gosh, I think it depends on the week, quite honestly, and, and what our adversaries have decided to do to grab our attention or what, we, what actions we might be planning uh, to take against our adversaries. So it could be that one week I'm, my team and I are very heavily focused on Russia, the Russia-Ukraine crisis. Another week we're very heavily focused on China, and then the next week it could be North Korea or Iran. Uh, so it really just depends, but they all are incredibly important areas of focus for us. Okay, did we miss anything? Do you have like a a message you'd want to give to people about what you're doing, what you're looking for, what you would need? So I think the, the one additional thing that I would say, kind of tying back to a portion of your last question about do we have the resources we need, 
OIA is a very small organization, and it's one of the smallest, if not the smallest, in the intelligence community. We are growing, which is fantastic because it is a recognition of the demand signal that we have to continually support the the department's evolving mandate. But we will always be a small organization. That said, we will be posting a number of new opportunities for new roles across OIA over the coming months. And so to the extent that I'm able to use an opportunity like this to plug OIA as an amazing place to, to come and work, particularly if you have you know, a background in economics and finance, if you have a, a background on and anything in the, the cyber world, digital assets and the like, it is a fantastic opportunity to, to work both at OIA as well as the department. So if you I'm can... happy to field anybody who's interested in, yeah. in, talk, in learning more. <laughs> So I was going to say, if you if you have a link or something, send it. And we'll we'll post it with the podcast, so that will get. Oh, some I will absolutely do that. I want to thank you for doing this. Thanks for listening. See you on the next episode.